Hey, this is Pastor Sean Beatty from Clovis Hills Community Church. We're so glad you're listening to our podcast. If you want more information about the church, go to www.clovishills.com or you can download our app in your iTunes or Google Play Store. Enjoy the podcast. Here's, here's the deal. I, when I was in college, I was 19 years old, I had a professor ask me in front of the whole class, how long have you lived? And I said, 19 years. And my voice cracked like I was, had, I was in puberty. And um, he said, no, that's how long you've existed. How long have you lived, been alive? And he went on to describe a day in his life where it, he just described a day when he was in junior high. And he was on a field trip and he went to the top of the Empire State Building. And there he was and he realized he was on top of the world. His best friends were there. And it was for a minute or so he was just fully alive. And then he went on to explain he's had moments like that throughout his whole life where he was fully alive. And then he looked at me and he said, so how long have you been alive? And I had to look at him and I said, I don't know if I have. I don't have any of those moments in my life. So um, it's been a... That stuck with me because my life has been a series of trying to be more alive. And I've learned four deep spiritual truths about this. And um, I, I want to share them with you. They're not in your notes, though. But I, 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 just, I think there, there's more to our lives than just existing, if, if you know what I mean. And there's four deep spiritual truths. I'm going to go off script. Forgive me back there. Just hold on this. Listen, number one, deep spiritual truth. Number one is this. I've learned this about spirituality all around the world. One, Muslims do not recognize Jews as God's chosen people, okay? Number two, deep spiritual truth. Jews do not recognize Jesus as the Messiah. Number three, Protestants do not recognize the Pope as the leader of the Christian church. Number four, deep spiritual truth. Baptists do not recognize each other in Hooters. And if I were Bob Goff, I'd laugh at my own joke. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Ah! Okay, anyway, so today we're going to start this series, though, called Everybody Always. And we're going to um, be reading the parable of the, the um, Good Samaritan. And I want to I, I give you a little context to this. Jesus is telling this story, and as he's telling this story, everyone that's listening is visualizing it because he's using real places. I don't know if you know, but um, I, I take a group about every other year to Israel. And we're going to be going to Israel in March. If you want to go, I'll take you there. Um, our guide is one of the leading archaeologists in all of the Middle East. And he shows us things. He's got keys to places no one else is allowed to go to. It's amazing. He's also a... Uh, Retired general in the Israeli Defense Force so of intelligence. So we're allowed to go places that no one's allowed to. And he just kind of gives the Jedi wave and all the soldiers move, okay? So it's one of those trips. It's really cool. But when you go, you get to see kind of the Bible jump out in 3D to you. And as Jesus is telling this story of the Good Samaritan, he tells the story of this, this guy that was traveling on the Jericho Road. And um, the Jericho Road was a real place. It still is a real place. As a matter of fact, I want to just give you a little context to it. So Jericho is down 1,100 feet below sea level. And Jerusalem is way up top. And the Jericho Road, it's a real road. It goes through this valley. And there's like cliffs. And it's real narrow. And it's real sketchy. And the cliffs are sandstone. And they collapse. And 
Um, not to mention just walking it, but it was, it's very remote. It's in the middle of the desert. So there's all kinds of people that come and jack you and try and rob you. So as Jesus is telling the story of the Good Samaritan about how this guy gets jacked on the road to Jericho, everyone listening, even the religious leaders, are like, yep, that's what happens when you go on the road to Jericho. It's kind of like, you know, there's certain neighborhoods in town, you know, lock your doors, right? Hide your kids, hide your wife, that, that, that kind of thing. So... This is, this is, he's explaining this. Matter of fact, if you look, this is a picture right here. This is the actual Jericho Road, and you can see it's, you know, kind of steep. There's a, a, a river wash down the middle because it doesn't rain there very much, but when it does, it flash floods, and it just rips the canyon out. And if you're down in that canyon, you could be gone in an instant, okay? So it's a real narrow road. We got one more picture, Mike. Do you have one more? There it is. And now it's a tourist trap, okay, when you go. You show up, and you can go, and it's very safe. You won't get jacked. The only thing that will happen is some guy on a camel might try and sell you things. He'd be like, my friend, my friend, I give you a deal. Okay, um, if he calls you his friend, he's not giving you a deal. But here's the deal. Um, it, it's a real place. And Jesus is telling this story, and they're all picturing it. And he's talking to religious people in this moment. Because he is asked by a lawyer, hey, how do I get eternal life? And what I love about Jesus in this story is he doesn't answer the guy. He just throws a question right back at him. Because he knows the guy isn't, doesn't really care. The guy's only there to trick Jesus, to try and catch Jesus in his words. So Jesus does what he does. He answers a question with a question. And then he tells a, a story and makes everyone look, that was questioning him look dumb. So I love that about him. So if you are able to, my friend Brendan's going to come out. We're going to read from Luke chapter 10, the word of the Lord. If you're able to, I'd love it if you could stand in honor of God's word. And let's read together. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus replied, go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. All right, you may be seated. So if you have your outline, you can pull it out. And I want to talk to you about matters of the head. See, this religious guy, he knew the right answer. Let's be honest. You know, he, right away, he recited two verses out of the Bible. So he says, you know, Rabbi, how do I inherit eternal life? Jesus says, you know the law. You're, you're an expert in the law. 
right? Remember last, two weeks ago when I preached, we talked about if you're a uh, Jew in that time, you didn't call this the Bible. This was called the Law and the Prophets. Like, they didn't have a word, Bible, okay? They call it the Law and the Prophets. And the Law was the first five books of the Old Testament, and that had the Law in it, 615 laws in, in the Old Testament. And they had guys that were experts in the Law, and if you need an interpretation on what the law was, you would go to that guy. So he asked Jesus, and Jesus says, you know the law, what is it? And the guy recites um, a, you know, a verse out of Leviticus, and he re- recites something the Jews called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, right? And then, and then the second was out of Leviticus 19, and he said, and love your neighbor as yourself. Nothing new, that's not new information to this scribe or this, this lawyer, not new information to Jesus. But here's the thing about religious folk, and I'm, I, I know them pretty well because I, this is my job. We know the answers. We're really good with the answers. But it, 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 it's a whole nother issue when you take the answers and you actually have to go do the answers. I'm going to be honest with you. There's many of us in this room right now that we've studied the Bible backwards and forwards. And really, if we stopped reading the Bible today and we spent the rest of our life actually trying to apply all the biblical knowledge we have, we'd be better off. I'm just letting you know. Some of you, you don't need your 15th Beth Moore store, or Bible study anymore. Okay? As sweet as sugar as she is, and that woman could taste the Bible like no one else. She's so good. But listen, really what we need is to apply the Bible. And we just keep gaining knowledge, gaining knowledge, gaining knowledge, gaining knowledge. And this is really what Jesus, this is why Jesus tells this story. Look what it says. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. And he said, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law? Well, how do you read it? He answered. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and all your mind. See, I have proper theology. And love your neighbor as yourself. I know the right things to do. Jesus said, you've answered correctly. Do this and you'll live. See, so religious people are really good at knowing the answers and having the right beliefs. But how many of you would say it's... Let's not just say religious people. Let's just say people in general. How many of you have trouble moving from what you know to what you actually do? Anyone here struggle with that? I know I should eat good. But I love Krispy Kreme donuts. Get behind me Satan, right? I know I should eat vegetables. But I love bacon, okay? I I mean, there's all kinds of things that I know is the right thing to do. But then... Going and doing it, and you know, how many of you every new year are like, that's it, I'm going to eat right and I'm going to exercise. And by January 2nd, <laughs> laying in your food coma going, oh, tomorrow. Okay? We know the right things. That's why a lot of my sermons, I don't moralize. I don't t- tell you what morals you need to live by because I think deep down inside we know when we're wrong. And we have God's word to tell us. But there, there, there's more to it. And see, it, it's really easy to, like, make a character of the religious person. That, oh, they're this or this or this. And, and um, I have to be honest, that's what we as human beings do. So Jesus tells this story about um, a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan. 
And the Samaritan is kind of the, the, the one that they, they all hate and they've got a picture of what he looks like. But if, if we're really honest, there are people in our lives that we don't like. There's groups of people that we don't like. And some of you are like, oh, not me, pastor. I love everyone, everybody always, okay? Well, that, that's neat, and you're swimming in a river called denial, okay? Because I live on planet Earth, and um, there, there are people that, that I, I, I struggle with sometimes. And here's what human beings do. This is what we all do, is we make characters out of groups of people that we don't like. Okay, it's not just like a racial stereotype. We do it with all kinds of people. Uh, you know, I listen to a lot of AM radio, and I watch them do it every day because they'll be like, "People on the left, the liberals." Right away, they've made a character, right? And you you start to see the character they painted. You know, and they paint this picture of people that. Um, that are communists and they hug trees and they only wear Birkenstock and they all come out of some cave in Santa Cruz together to, to get all of your children to stop believing in God and America and they're horrible people, on and on and on. And they make this character of them. But the truth of the matter is this, human beings are not two-dimensional. But we love to make a two-dimensional person because then we can put them in a box in our head and go, oh, they are a liberal. In the same way, they do the same thing to, to kind of our, our right-wing friends, right? They're like, oh, yeah, you know, they're, they're racist, they're ignorant, they're homophobic, they're, you know, they're gun-toting hypocrites. They're, you know, some of you are like, you're describing me, man. Um, they're... You know, they're, they're sheep. They only listen to, you know, what their stupid AM radio tells them to do. And they're racist and, and on and on and on. And they create a character of what that person is. Human beings, we do it all the time. But the truth of the matter is you might be one of those people that leans really far right. And you are much more than the character they paint of you. They, you know, we, we do it to racial groups. You know, I'm a white guy, and the, you know, the, the stereotype of the white guy is that he can't jump, he can't dance, he's got no groove. And I am the stereotype, I got it, but whatever, I still like cool in the gang. But here's the thing. I'm so much more than that. Human beings are so much more than the character we tend to make them. And the reason we do that is, is we're trying to lump people into groups and in how we deal with them. And I want you to understand something. The message of Jesus that he's trying to tell us in this story is, it's great if you get on a plane and you fly to Africa and you go love on people in Africa, but you know it's way harder than getting on a plane and flying across the world to love people? Getting off your rear end and going across the street to love someone who's different than you. That's difficult. Because one, they might think you're weird. They might reject you. You be kind to them, they might be like, and that makes you, that brings up all kinds of things in you. Man came forward after church this morning and he, uh, it's an older gentleman, he, he was rededicating his life to Christ today because he found out recently he has dementia. He has all kinds of anxiety and he was just telling me about his past, about rejection and as a, at seven years old, his dad left him at a gas station in Mexico, came back to America. He carries all this stuff. And the reason he, he, he wanted to come tell me he rededicated his life, because he, he said, you pointed at me when I raised my hand and said that God has a plan for my life. But I have dementia. Did you mean that? And I said, you bet I mean it. And I don't know if God's going to take it from him, 
Or God's going to use his dementia to give God glory. To teach something in his family. To show something. But God will use it. So we make characters people all the time. I mean, think about it. You got liberals, conservatives, black people, white people, Hispanic people. Some of you make a, a whole character out of illegal aliens. Like, they're here illegally. They're all gang members. They're all killing. You know, and we all know that's a character. That's not reality. Much, there's much more to someone who's here as a legal, legal alien. The one we do is really easy to do is um, homeless people. We, you know, I used to make a character out of homeless people. And I'd be like, oh, well, you know, they're all on drugs or they're lazy. And I, that was kind of my character I made of homeless people. And God has a funny way of doing things, right? Because usually if you hate someone or you don't like someone or someone rubs you wrong, you know, if you get, draw, get close enough to Jesus, he's going to push you into those people so you have to love them. And I had a church, and we were a multi-campus church, and one of the campuses we ended up starting, God gave us the opportunity to open a campus at a homeless shelter. So Sunday mornings, we'd be preaching to the homeless, and I'm just going to let you know, 1040, you guys are pretty good. Mia's always over here going, amen, praise the Lord, like cheering me on, which you should do more of. Um, but there's nothing like preaching to a group of homeless men. Because they tell you exactly what they're thinking the whole time. You know, you're preaching, and if they don't like you, the guy will be like, Bull bleep! That's a load of, And he'll just get up and walk out. You're stupid pastor! You know, it's one of those. And I, I began to, to work with these guys, and what I learned was they were so much more than the stereotype I had made them. So much more than the character I had made them. And what I realized is some of these homeless guys were never going to get off the streets, and they weren't on drugs. They had a mental disability or a physical disability that was not going to allow them in any way whatsoever to get the help they needed. They could get the help they needed, but that mental disability would not let them. There were some that didn't have the IQ. They would never be able to work. And only if someone held, them, held their hand and helped them get the aid they needed. But they would still always be homeless. There were some that were on drugs. And they were just bad people. And they weren't bad people. It's just when you're on drugs, it makes you a bad person. There were some that were homeless. And it was just because a couple bad things went wrong in their life. And if you're honest, at some point in many of our lives, we've been a few steps from being on the street as well too. So I remember I'm working at the bread, and um, there was this guy there. His, they called him Rasta. And uh, Rasta was an older African-American gentleman. He had these big, long dreads. And, you know, um, and Rasta, aside from smoking lots of weed, also had a meth habit. And it was on and off and on and off, and he really struggled with it. And it, it's what kept him on the streets. And I remember um, I hadn't seen him for a bit, and he showed up at the bread to eat dinner one night. And I'm like, Rasta, where you been, man? And he goes, oh, well, um, my, uh, my daughter is homeless now, and um, she's on drugs, and she, I, had, I had to take care of my grandchild, so I did some side hustle, and I got a hotel for a month. I've been staying in this hotel with my granddaughter, so he's caring for his granddaughter, so she's not homeless or goes into the system. And I was like, oh, man. And, you know, they teach you right away when you're working with the homeless, don't give them money, don't do that. There's this... There's steps, and there's a social net, and there's things to do, and especially a guy with a drug addiction. And I just don't like to follow rules. So um, I, I, was, I thought to myself, like, well, here's a guy. He's trying to stay clean. He's trying to stay off the streets. Um, and I was like, well, I'll give him a job. 
I'm like, Ross, so what do you do for a side hustle? He goes, oh, I'm an artist. I paint things. And I was like, oh, okay. What do you paint? He goes, I can paint anything you want, pastor. Classically trained. I'm old school. And I was like, well, okay. So I, I, show, I, I showed him a picture of an, a rendering by a guy named Gustav Dore from the 16th century. And it's, you know, it's this elaborate painting. It's an etching, actually. He's like, yeah, I can do that. And I'm like, okay. I go, how much is your rent? And he goes, it's 300 bucks for the month. I said, I'll pay your rent if you'll paint me a picture. And he's like, okay. And then um, I did make a mistake. I should have went, but it was far away. I should have went to the hotel and paid his rent. But instead, I gave him $300 cash. I know what you're all thinking. You're a dummy. Uh, yeah. Um, he said, thanks, pastor. I'll be back in a week. I'm like, do you need a canvas or anything? He goes, no, I'm old school. I pull my own canvases. We'll be good. I'm like, all right. So a week passes by. He doesn't show up. Two weeks pass by. You know what we're all thinking, right? He took the money, went and used. Three weeks pass by. I've realized I'm out $300 and I'm just a dummy. And what am I doing giving $300 cash to a guy with a, a meth problem? And it might have been a, a, a whole month, maybe five weeks. I don't remember how long it was. I had kind of written it off like I lost that money. And um, Rasa comes traipsing through the doors of the bread of life. And he brought me this. This is a rendition of Pentecost. And he, um, he painted that. He pulled the canvas himself and he goes sorry it took me a little longer uh, you know I, I paid my rent and then I realized I didn't have any brushes or canvas or anything like that so I had to do, do more side hustle to paint your picture and he, he began to explain to me he showed me the original picture and he goes you can look in the original picture there's 13 tongues of fire this is from Acts chapter 2 if you want to read it kids earlier or tomorrow or tonight and he goes there's 13 he, the artist painted himself right there into the picture he goes, I thought that was really cool that he did that. He goes, I tried to paint myself in, but it looked weird with a black guy with dreads right here. <laughs> so I painted myself out of it, and uh, you, got, you just got the 12 apostles. And see, here's the thing about um, people. is So many times, we Christians get it all wrong. And we, people are not projects that need to be fixed. Do, do, do you understand that? They are perfectly capable of being used by God in whatever sinful state they're in. So here's this guy with a drug problem. And by accident, I didn't treat him like a project. And I'm going to be honest with you, when I, when I left uh, Generation Church to come here, I didn't want anything except this painting. Because... It sits in my office and I look at it every day. It reminds me of that. That we're not here to fix people. We're here to love people. And the Spirit of God fixes people. And God is very patient with people. Aren't you glad God is patient with you? You guys are lucky I'm not God. And you guys are saying the same thing. You'd be like, you're not, you'd be done preaching by now. Um, so I want to talk to you about number two in the outline. Uh, moving from matters of the head, because we know the right things to do, to a matter of the heart. And look what it says in the, in the scripture. It, the, the, the guy asks Jesus. Jesus says, what's the answer? The guy gives his own answer. And then he says, um, but he wanted to justify himself. Right? It, it, here's, here's what he means by that. He says he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, 
And who's my neighbor then? You know, if I'm supposed to love my neighbor, who's my neighbor? And I'm a generalist when it comes to things. So, um, like, when, I, when people give me an instruction, I just kind of take a general rule of it, and I paint my own borders, and, and I go. And um, I get in trouble a lot for doing that, I know. Um, and then there's some of you that are very precise in the engineer type, and you want exact instructions and things like that. And there's nothing wrong with that, too. God's made you that way to keep people like me from driving off the road. But here's the deal. You know, um, a great example, though, in the Scripture, said, God says, don't work on the Sabbath. He doesn't explain anything else. But what we end up doing is going, well, what is work? And really, when this guy said, who's my neighbor, here's what he was saying. He was saying, okay, God, if that's sin, how close can I get to it without touching it? And he was trying to justify himself, right? You ever see someone you don't like and they're looking at you and you know they're looking at you? And you just pretend not to see them? I've never done that. I can't believe you guys do that. You're terrible people. Of course. Especially all the ladies are like, yes, every day at the gym. Um, You know, it says, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus goes on, and I'm going to keep reading. It says, in reply, Jesus said a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Right? That's a real road, and they all picture it, like, pretty dangerous. When he was attacked by robbers, and they all go, yep, that's what happens. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, they went away, leaving him half dead. Verse 31. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Here's the thing. The priest is coming down this narrow Jericho road. He sees a dead guy laying there, and the priest knows what the Bible says. He knows what the law says, and if you're a priest... You are not allowed to touch a dead person. And he doesn't know if this guy's dead or alive. And he, in his head, he takes what the Bible says and he justifies himself. And he says, ah, I'm good. I don't need to help this guy. I don't need to see if he's dead or alive. Because if I touch a dead guy, I've disobeyed God. A Levite comes by and he does the same thing. He justifies himself. And we're super good at stuff like that. You know, I see people all the time. They're like, I pay my tithe, pastor. It's your job to love people. Really? Then he says, But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went and he bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine on it. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, that's a two days' wages, and he gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So Samaritans back then, um, here's the thing. If you were born a Jew, one of the first things they taught you was that you did not like the Samaritans. They were wicked. They didn't worship God properly. They were, were idolaters. They were half Jewish. They weren't really God's chosen people. And there was a deep-seated racial hatred for the Samaritans. And if you were a Samaritan, you were taught early on that the Jews weren't really God's people. You were. They were fakers. They worshiped God in the temple in Jerusalem, which is not where God commanded them to be worshipped. They were supposed to worship in the mountain in Samaria. And you Couldn't stand them. And this was not like Giants fan, Dodgers fan rivalry going on. Okay? This wasn't Raiders fan versus the NFL rivalry going on. Okay? You need to understand this. 
I mean, this was a deep-seated hatred. The Samaritans, in about 150 A.D., broke into the temple, and they spread the bones of about 100 corpses all over the Jewish temple to desecrate it so they wouldn't worship there anymore. There was, it was just bad. And when Jesus uses the Samaritan as the example, I know when we read it, a lot of times we just read it plainly and we go, oh yeah, just be good to people. So when you see someone pulled over on the side of the road, go help them. That's not what Jesus was trying to tell us, although that might be a good idea. Within reason, ladies. What Jesus was trying to say to these religious people was, do you want to know who your neighbor is? Who do you not like? Who have you made a character of in your life? Now, and then he says, now go, go do the same. Go take care of them. Go love them. Who do you not like? Because that's the true neighbor. Some of you are like, well, you, you don't understand, Pastor. Like, that, I, I get that. That makes sense. But it's much harder to do. I know. What if I really don't like them? How do you love someone you don't like? Well, I'm going to give you a little bit of advice. Get your pens out. Write it down. This is very important. Do you know how you love someone that you don't like? Fake it. Oh, I thought you were about being authentic. I am. Here's what I want you to understand. Fake the love. My good friends in recovery, they say fake it till you make it. You know why? Because your feelings lie. Your feelings aren't always, you know. I, I know Yoda and Obi-Wan said trust your feelings, but that's a movie. Because your feelings lie to you. And sometimes you've got to just do the right thing even though you don't feel like it. I'll give you a great example. When I was a youth pastor, I had a kid in my youth group. His name was Trip. I could not stand him, okay? He made my blood curl whenever he spoke. He was just annoying, okay? And some of you are like, oh, you're so judgmental. So are you. So um, <laughs> just stay with me on this story, okay? And he drove me nuts. And I finally, I felt convicted about it because I was like, you are his pastor. You probably should figure out how to love this guy. And I just, every time I saw him on a Sunday or a Wednesday night, I made a point, even though I didn't like him, to walk up to this dude and just give him a big hug. And sometimes I wanted to just keep squeezing because he said something rude to my wife or something inappropriate to her or whatever. I'd just give him a hug and ask him how he's doing. He'd spend the next half hour monopolizing all my time, telling me about stuff I don't care about. And I had to sit there and just listen and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I did it every week. And do you want to know what happened over the period of about six months? I grew to love that kid. Was he still creepy? You bet. Was he still weird? You bet. Did I want to hang out with him? No way. But I want you to understand something. I developed a genuine love for him. I wanted the best for him in his life. And coming and giving him a hug and hearing his crazy stories, all of a sudden wasn't so bad. When he was really annoying, I began to develop more and more grace for him. See, God knows this. There's people in your office. There's people in your family. It might be your spouse right now that's not so lovable. <laughs> you kids laugh, but anyways, um, ask my wife. So it's matters of the heart. So, so, so here, here's the thing I want to talk to you about is the, thir the third point, the most important part is matters of heaven. 
See, Jesus has called us to love him, and we go, okay, we can do that. Then he calls us to love our neighbor, and we're like, oh, I can do that. I can love people like me. But then he, in this story, points out that, no, you're supposed to love people you don't like, too. That's your neighbor. And you're like, dang it. And um, I, I, you always wonder why. Why do we got to do that, God? I'm one of the, I was one of those kids that always asked why. Why do we got to do it? If I understood the why behind it, though, I, many times I bought in. And I want you to think about for something for a minute, the, the why. So um, the Bible's really clear that the way you get to heaven is by just simple belief in Jesus Christ. Amen, right? It's that easy to get to heaven, right? Just believe in your heart, confess in your mouth, Jesus is Lord, right? Dang. Um, thank you, Mia. So that's good news. Because it's not merited on how good you are at loving your neighbor. It's not merited on how much you love God. It just means it's merited on how good Jesus was in your place. And that's super good news, for me at least, okay? Um, and, and here's the thing. What the Bible says is that anyone that believes that is no longer separated from God by their sin for eternity. And that you're going to spend eternity with God. Now here's the ramifications of that simple good news. Is that when you get to heaven... There are going to be all kinds of people in heaven that are not like you at all. To my friends that are super right-wing Tea Party Republicans, there's going to be Democrats in heaven. There's going to be like liberal communists in heaven. I'm letting you know that right now. And to to my people that lean on the left and they're like, viva la, you know, um, part of the people kind of thing. You know, they're they're kneeling at NFL games. Your friend, the people that you think are rednecks, gun-toting, ignorant, they're going to be in heaven too. If there's a racial group that you don't like, maybe you don't like illegal aliens. Maybe, Maybe that's a big hot button for you right now. There will be illegal aliens in heaven too. There's going to be all kinds of people you don't like. And here's what I want you to understand. I think this is what God knew about us. C.S. Lewis said it this way in The Great Divorce. I'm going to simplify it for you. Could it be for those of us that don't learn to love our neighbor that the flames of heaven will be hotter than the flames of hell? And what he means by that is heaven might be a pretty miserable place for some of you that don't learn to love your neighbor. For a while. That's going to be a hard lesson to learn. Think about it. You go to heaven. There's a bunch of people you don't like there. Some of you, I, I'm just letting you know. Um, in heaven there's going to be singing. Some of you are like, oh no. I can't show up late for this sermon in heaven. Sorry. Maybe some of what is going on on this planet today is God preparing you for your destiny, eternity. And maybe the reason God wanted you to love your neighbor, not the person like you, but the person you don't like or the person that's not like you, the person you've made a character of, is because he knows you're going to be with them for eternity and it's for your own good that you learn to love them today. Could that be? This is what I, I want us to understand. See, Um, Today, if you're here and you're not a religious person, I am so glad you're here. This is a great church to be in if you're not religious. Because here's the deal. I'm going to ask you to do something. Um, Do me a favor. Don't um, take the the character 
that you've made of Christians, the stereotype that you've made that they're, that they're bitter and judgmental and hateful and all those things that you've made of them and, and judge Jesus by it. Because Christians, there are some like that, I'll give you that. But that's not who Jesus is. And the people that are, that are critical and full of condemnation and full of guilt and full of all that, to be honest, they're not a reflection of who Jesus is, who is pure love, the Bible says, who is life, who is everlasting life. They're just a reflection of their sinful selves. And you're not seeing Jesus in them. And maybe if you want to learn who Jesus is, you've got to go to the real thing. So, you ever been, um, you ever been to like an art gallery with one of your bougie friends? I'm going to make a total character of a friend of mine, okay? He's more than that, I know. Um, but, you know, and I'm a music snob, so I'm, I'm the same way with music, and he's that way with art. And, and um, you go, you know, and sometimes you see art, and you see it, and you know, you're like, <gasps> and it's beautiful, and it just brings something out of you, and it's, it's incredible. But then sometimes you go, and you see, like, they try and show you, like, modern art, and sometimes, I just to be honest, it's not art. In, um... Well, I, I have a picture. Show, show this one. It's called Green and White by Ellsworth Kelly. It sold for $1.6 million, people. This dude couldn't even make a complete circle. He's like, yeah, yeah. Voila. And my friend's like, you don't understand. It's the balance of texture and color. I go, it's green. There's no texture to this. It's not art. Here's, a, here's another one. This one, he didn't even think of a name for it. It's just called Untitled. By Mark Rothko. It sold for $28 million. And we know how that works. That was someone that was like, I've got money burning a hole in my pocket. Here you go. So um, here's, here's the thing. And my friend will look at it and go, well, you know, you, you just don't understand. It's, it's beautiful. It wasn't even on canvas. It was on a piece of paper. And I think here, here's the analogy I'm trying to make. And if you're an art snob, we have pre-filled out complaint cards. Drop it in the offering. And I get it. I do it every week. I tick someone off, so I'm sorry. But I'm trying to make an illustration, so get past the, my, how dumb I am with art. See, I think we, most of us look at that and we go, my friend's like, this is art. And I go, mm, not really. It's, it's a picture. It's a painting. It's not art. It doesn't do anything to you. And I think God, sometimes, we're busy trying to live, be alive. And we're out chasing experiences, the next vacation, the next job promotion, our kids' next big event, the next house, the next car, the next career, retirement, grand, and we're chasing living. And we're trying to grab at it, grab at it on our own. And we go, God, look at, look, we're living. We're living. Look at our life. We're living. And God looks down and, and he, he goes, oh. I don't know if I would call that living. I call that existence. And the truth of the matter is, I'm guilty of it. That, that we're so... I mean, I mean, don't, don't, don't ever be, be so, so, so ignorant to think that you can obtain 
true life, that you can be fully alive by running from the very one who gave you life, who defines life, who is Jesus, and we're off trying to chase life when he's right here saying, receive me. And, and here's the thing, I really believe this. I think we are so inoculated with existence. We, we're all like just, we all are just kind of tropesing through life existing that when we come near someone who's fully alive, who has the light of Christ in them and his love is bubbling out of them, we look and our lives do look black and white and they're bursting with color and we say, we want that. And I want you to know something, you can only have that by drawing near to the one that defines life, that gives life. It's Jesus Christ. And you can't find it apart from him. So this morning, some of you, today's the day that you've, it just, the light bulb just went on in your head like, yeah, I've been chasing life my way. And I, I sense something knocking at my heart, calling me to God. Well, that's the spirit of God. Don't ignore the spirit of God. He loves you. He's not mad at you. He loves you so much. He, he left everything to come and get you. The Bible says in Jeremiah, he says, Jeremiah, before you were in your mother's womb, I knew you. I consecrated you. I set you apart for great things. Do you understand that God loves you so much that, that, that he doesn't expect you to do a bunch of religion to get to him. He loved you so much that he left heaven and earth and came and lived a perfect life and has come to knock at the door of your heart today so that you could know him and spend eternity with him, that you could have life, you could have the color bursting forth in your life and be fully alive if you will draw near to God. So, today's your day, September 2nd. God's not mad. He's actually, if you want to know how much he loves you, he loves you this much. He's welcoming you into his arms. If you would receive him. The Bible says in, 1 John, or in John chapter 1, verse 12, it says, but as many as received him, to those who believe in his name, if you receive him, to those who believe in his name, he's given them the right to become children of God, that you could do that today. Today's your day. I wanna pray, I wanna pray for you. I'm gonna pray that God gives you the courage to step into that.